Are we on? Yay, we are now on. Hi, everybody. Happy Wednesday. I know. Let's give it up for the AV. AV, you did it. Yeah. So I'm going to start this uh, different from the other times we've done this session uh, because we had a big thing happen today. We had a keynote. Who caught the keynote? So just yell out what was your favorite topic, your favorite release, anyone who wants to be vocal. What would you like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Formula One. See, that was my favorite too. And so the Formula One, here's why the Formula One was my favorite. Um, I, and I'm not a race fan at all. I don't follow it. I drive a 2004 Subaru Outback. All right? So that's the context. Give it up for the Subaru Outback. But here's why this is relevant. There, there are technologies in that old piece of junk that were born in race cars, right? There are a lot of technologies in the conventional car that we all drive today that were born on the racetrack. They were born, bred, and evolved on the racetrack. Uh, disc brakes, anti-lock brakes, roll cages, fuel injection. If you drive a Tesla, that doesn't matter. But these are the things that really matter. And so what I thought was really cool about that session or that speak is that he was talking about these really evolved things you know, the, the collection of, of sensor, over 100 sensors on that car, a million uh, touch points per second, aggregating what's going on. And, you know, okay, the car of the future, we're all going to be having cars that do that. But right now, it's, it's a hard lift. It is what F1 does. But it will come down to a more commodity, a more approachable commercial thing. And I want the room to kind of keep that frame of mind during this session because we're going to talk about cloud networking, we're going to talk about software-defined wide area networking, and we're going to use a specific company and their specific use case with their specific technology stack. But the challenge for the room is to be broad about that. These techniques and these technologies are applicable to many, many, many use cases. And the challenge for us is to imagine ourselves in that journey. Uh, and there are more than one technology providers that can help you get there. We're going to focus on specific ones, but we'll try to broaden it up at the end. So with that as context, you're hopefully here to learn more about software-defined wide area networks and how that can help you improve your cloudy networking right now in your branch office connectivity. I'm Jim Carroll. I'm with AWS Marketplace. I'm the category leader for the network infrastructure category. Uh, I'll be tag teaming this with uh, two excellent gentlemen from Coke Business Solutions. It's going to be Mike Worthington and Daniel Cruz. They'll be on to talk about their specific case. Uh, and then I'll come back and uh, kind of wrap it up with uh, some homework assignments, because there will be homework, uh, and a call to action for next steps that you can take. So that's the agenda, and um, let's get going, shall we? Again, happy Wednesday. I know these are long weeks. Thank you for being here. These, these, are, these are long days and long weeks. So cloud networking. What is cloud networking all about? Well, um, if you are a born-in-the-cloud company, you're building an application that's native to AWS, we love you, thank you very much. As that application scales, you're gonna have more and more virtual private clouds, VPCs, that need to talk to each other. Well, how do we manage that? Because that can be complex, that can be unusual. So we've got use cases to solve for that. We've got solutions to solve for that. Uh, on the other side of the spectrum, uh, you've got enterprises that are uh, migrating hundreds, if not thousands, of applications over to AWS. And why are they doing that? Maybe they've got a, a product refresh with uh, servers that they just don't, don't need, or they're, they're, they want to get out of the data center business. For whatever reason, they're moving those applications over to AWS. They want to take advantage of the agility and elasticity of our infrastructure. Great stuff. 
But these migrations take time. Even when companies say that they are all in on AWS, that journey to all in could take years and years and years. So there will be assets and resources still on-prem in your data center or your colo that need to communicate with the infrastructure that you're establishing with AWS and the resources that you got with AWS. So how do we make a hybrid network of sorts for those kind of use cases? And in any event, you still need to communicate to the end user, the person using the application. Not the application owner, but the person in the branch office. And that's where software-defined WAN kicks in. Um, that's kind of the context of the session. Uh, and we'll dive into it a little bit more now. So for Amazon Web Services, we've got networking capabilities. We've got over 145 services now, I think, after the, the announcements earlier today. Uh, and there are four core networking resources uh, for Amazon Web Services. The basic one, the granddaddy of them all, is virtual private clouds, VPCs. Uh, there, there are a lot of acronyms on these slides. So if you see VPC, it's a virtual private cloud. What is a virtual private cloud? It is an abstraction of our software-defined network where we provide you to your AWS account an IP address space that you manage. You manage the IP address space. You can set up subnets. You can set up endpoints, gateways. Do what you need to do. Um, and it is where you will deploy your AWS resources. When you're deploying compute, you deploy it in your VPC. If you need access to some software as a service, you establish an endpoint that communicates to that software as a service. All the magic really happens in your virtual private cloud. Another one of our core networking capabilities is Direct Connect. And in the naming of Amazon Web Services services, that, what it sounds like it does, it's what it does. It's a high-speed interconnect, one gig or 10 gig, that we can bring from AWS to your location. What is your location? It could be your data center. Could you be your co-location? It could be your branch office, but that's really a tough lift because these aren't necessarily easy to provision and they're not cheap. But typically we'll see data center connectivity and co-location connectivity. Uh, so this is where you'll see uh, companies consider Amazon Web Services infrastructure as an extension of their uh, already existing data center. So it, it's, a, it's a nice thing and uh, Coke will have some examples of how they're deploying that. Elastic Load Balancer, again, it, it does what it says it does. It balances loads. It takes incoming uh, traffic and makes sure it's not choking to death one of your EC2 instances. It, loads, it balances the load across multiple resources for high availability and for throughput. So if you need performance increase, ELB can help you scale out. Uh, the last one that is on that slide is Amazon's Route 53, or Route 53, depending on where you're, you're from. And that's our DNS service. So as you develop an application, you want to get it out on the internet, uh, a nice, scalable, cost-effective way of doing that is through OpenDNS. Now, what we also offer is a third-party community of products and services available through AWS Marketplace, which is my group. AWS Marketplace has over 1,250 uh, sellers with over 4,500 products grouped into 35 categories. 34 of which we won't touch at all. <laughs> the one I manage is network infrastructure. And why is this important? So even though we've got some good native networking capabilities on Amazon Web Services, they're not the end-all, be-all. There are some um, complex routing capabilities that you might have on-prem that you want to replicate in AWS, and our native networking's just not going to do it. There may be some layer four through seven security services you've got. You may be using uh, 
F5's big IP for uh, application delivery control, let's say, and you may be uh, very wedded to iRules, and there's no equivalent to iRules on Amazon Web Services. So you could spin up a virtual version of F5's big IP in your VPC and use your iRules. It's, it's, it's the, essentially the same thing as you'd be doing on-prem. So virtual routing and application delivery controllers, those are two of the four fundamental pillars we've got for AWS Marketplace networking. The two we're gonna spend more time on, though, are the two in the middle, transit VPCs and software-defined WAN. What is a transit VPC? Well, transit VPC, it's easier to start with what Amazon Web Services networking is all about natively, up until you know now. But natively, if you had two or more virtual private clouds that needed to talk to one another, you had to establish peer connections. So if you only have a few, managing all those peer connections, no big deal. But you know, we've got companies with hundreds, and in some cases, thousands of VPCs. We've got companies with sub-companies that are managing in a child-parent account basis. How do you manage all those peer network connections? It's very difficult. A transit VPC allows you to put some routers in a virtual private cloud and treat it as kind of like your telco closet. So now you've got a hub and spoke design where all your other virtual private clouds all aim at this one to have communication. So it's a super sexy <laughs> way of getting it done because it's just elegant. It helps you manage the scale of your corporate networking connectivity to AWS. Rather than have your on-prem resources talk to each of your VPCs on Amazon Web Services, now they can just aim at your transit VPC hub and it manages the communication amongst all your AWS resources. It also allows you to share connectivity to accounts that are outside your organization. If you've got partnerships, if you're in a supply chain, if you, if you just acquired a company, let's say, you could share your transit VPC to these other organizations with security policies and postures and making sure that it's the traffic you want and it is not getting all the traffic that you don't want. You could do some good filtering there too. It also, because all of your traffic is now going through a robust router of sorts, you could monitor the traffic better. So now you could be more prescriptive in analyzing the performance of your network, the performance of your application. Is it an application hiccup? Is it a network hiccup that's supporting the app? You could make some re uh, re remediation in a more cost-effective, more quick, more agile way. And it also really improves just your private networking. If this stuff is never going to hit the internet, but you've got a lot of VPCs on the back end, you still want to make sure that you've got elegant uh, networking capabilities behind that. So that's what a transit VPC is. And the reason I bring up transit VPC is because it is kind of the foundation for software-defined wide area network capabilities as well. I mean, you can deploy SD-WAN without the transit VPC, but what we're finding is that they, one extends on the other pretty nicely. So that's why we're talking about transit VPC. What transit VPC really doesn't consider, though, is connectivity to the branch office. You still have these branch offices with users that need to get to these applications. What are you going to do for them? Currently, you've got a branch that's going over your WAN, an MPLS circuit, uh, and it has to go into your data center to get the policy, and then your data center will make the request for the web application to Amazon Web Services, and then AWS goes back to your data center, and then it goes back over your MPLS circuit to the end user in the branch. That's known as a backhaul network. Some people, um, cutely call it tromboning or hairpinning. You could call it whatever you want. It's a backhaul network. It's a very inefficient way of using bandwidth. MPLS circuits are not cheap, and it doesn't really scale, but it also punishes 
I mean, the cost of it, not just in dollars, but the cost and latency, the hops and ticks that you're introducing to this application request, it really punishes the application performance. Software-defined WAN, by abstracting the control plane and the data plane, you're able to manage two or more connections for policies and applications and personas and users, depending on how you define it. So now you're able to aggregate and leverage public internet bandwidth in addition to your MPLS circuit. Or in some cases where there is no MPLS circuit available, now you could route traffic over the public internet. And it is a very cool way of making sure the branch office experience is great. Because now the branch office already has its security policy. If there's an application it needs to get to that's on Amazon Web Services, go for it. Just contact AWS. If it has to contact um, Office 365, if it, if it has to contact Workday, if it has to do something with Salesforce.com, the policy has already been established. That branch can go straight to these SaaS providers or infrastructure providers and not have to go back through the data center. So it removes hops and ticks, and it offers you a broader choice of bandwidth for your use cases. Um, the example that we're going to use specifically today is technology based on on Cisco's uh, stack. Cisco's cloud services router is one of the more uh, highly deployed routers in AWS for the purposes of Transit VPC. And with their purchase of Viptela, they're now integrating vEdge into the cloud services router for the software-defined WAN fabric capability. So that's what we're gonna focus on now. At the end of uh, the, the day, I'll reference a few other uh, vendors that do similar things. I'll have you uh, check out some recommended reading so you can broaden your experience on that. But for now, I'm going to invite the fine gentleman from KBS to come on stage and talk about their experience with these technologies. Awesome. Thanks, Jim. Good stuff. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Mike Worthington. I'm a cloud architect with Coke Business Solutions. Hi, I'm Dan Cruz. I'm the senior network architect for Coke Business Solutions. I also lead the network architecture team. So we're going to start off by telling you a little, about, little bit about Coke Industries. Um, we're nearly 120,000 employees worldwide with a presence in uh, nearly 50 countries. We're headquartered out of Wichita, Kansas, and we are a privately held company. So being Forbes has estimated us to be one of the largest privately held companies in the world, valuing $110 billion in annual revenues. And something unique about us is we have a distinctive corporate culture. Uh, it's called market-based management. Um, basically, it's, a, it's a, a philosophy, a business philosophy and framework that we use every day to apply to uh, technology, to the things we do to better enhance, to improve ourselves, to drive the, the, the greatest value for what we do for our customers, what we do is for, for technology, and also for society in general. So here's a list of uh, a lot of all our companies within within our our enterprise. Um, I kind of highlight a few of them: Georgia Pacific. Georgia Pacific specializes in paper goods, paper products, um, wood products, uh, consumer product brand recognition. You might you might recall Brawny, um, Quilted Northern, uh, Dixie, and then um, we've got Molex. Molex is specialized in in, in connectors for. Uh, smart appliances, smart devices, as well as auto um, and other electronic devices. Um, Guardian specializes in fabricated glass. And then what we call resource companies kind of specialize in crude oil refining, as well as uh, fertilizer from the, the agronomic, agronomic services area, and also Coke minerals from, uh, from uh, petroleum cake. And then we have commodity trading with the Coke supply trading. The, the companies above are where 
are wholly owned subsidiaries, but we do have minority investments in, in some of the other companies, and those are listed below, like N4. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about our cloud journey because it kind of sets the precedent for, precedent for why we look at SD-WAN. Um, so we, we have strategized, you heard it in the keynote today, cloud first is our approach, right? You, everyone's heard of the three R's, refactor, replatform, rehost. Um, enterprise our size, the number of applications we have, and the diverse group of technolo technology um, stages, um, we have to accommodate for all of that. And so the other piece is that we, we are looking at reduced data center footprint, and so uh, with a cloud-first strategy, um, we're seeing everything from refactoring to some level of lift and shift, but our, our goal is to reduce our physical data centers. With that, we still have tier two, tier three style data centers at remote sites, probably hundreds of remote sites. And the reality is when we start to centralize within, within these Amazon regions, um, the reality is that we've got to get lease hop access to those, for those facilities. And that's where SD-WAN comes in. So if you look at what we're focused on, we're looking at entire digital transformation effort. Everything from IoT, Edge, to consuming um, native PaaS services with Amazon. We've, we're just looking at completely transforming, and then we've got different stages of where our customers are at. But the reality is that, and you kind of heard in the keynote as well, what we build for our customers and how they consume that, we've got to reduce the complexity. And if we don't, well, does that in inhibit the ability to kind of adopt these, these, these new services that are out there today? And with that, um, being a public cloud, provide, using public cloud services, our security focus has to be increased because of what, what, what our customers are looking to do as they start to replatform some of their app stack. So we started our journey about two years ago. We took a team of um, service owners, architects, and we partnered with our Amazon account team to kind of map out what our first iteration of public cloud would look like. And it was, it was an interesting journey. We didn't know what the, what the adoption rate would be, so we, we kind of took our first stab at it. And what we ended up with was a single region strategy, um, you know, as far as durability within Amazon. It's kind of where we landed. We uh, multi-AZ uh, as we provide VPC. So provide accounts, one-to-one -one with VPC, multi-AZ for redundancy for kind of HA. And so that's kind of where we landed. But the reality is that with our vision to go cloud first, data center consolidation, um, we're looking to expand regions, probably domestic US in the next, next quarter, and then we're looking to also rapidly expand internationally. And the time to market to be able to turn those regions up with our automation and the, and the, and the kind of capabilities we provide, uh, SD-WAN is gonna be an integral part in that connectivity on ramps to those locations. Um, services that we, we, we use today, um, everything from traditional EC2 um, to uh, EFS, um, other services, EMR, Redshift, a lot, of, a lot of those services that our customers are using, um, those are the services that, are, that we're kind of providing today. Uh, everything, we would drive 100% security focus with federated access um, into these environments for both our support and our customers. Um, map back to IAM policies and roles that allow access, conditional-based access to certain resources. Our account strategy today, it's, we're at 160 accounts and growing. And, and like Jim said, it, it's not unforeseen to have this many accounts. We kind of split it up into two different platforms. And I'll kind of highlight what that looks like and the reason why, why we went that route. So uh, probably a lot of individuals in here are born in the cloud type environments. A lot of them probably enterprise. Well, we kind of have both. We've got the uh, more born in the cloud, kind of the modern approach to application deployment. And then we have the off the shelf applications that we have to also maintain. And so what we aligned with was we kind of provide this capability. It's what we kind of branded our next-gen account. 
This, we provide KBS, we provide kind of the security compliance controls, federated auth using our third-party IDPs. But the difference here is that these accounts are internet-born, right? IGWs, these are IGW attached to the VPCs. Um, the expectation is our customer, um, whatever they deploy, they have a security focus so that there's least amount of risk to them. But the reality is this drives appropriate isolation that kind of reduces the risk to all of Coke. And so this was really scoped for modern application deployment. Um, again, there's no direct connectivity to our data center. You'll see all the traffic egresses, whatever our fire, where our pop point of presence are in our core data centers through firewalls. And then obviously external users accessing those resources over the internet. Again, the value here was isolation, right? So we could, we could create accounts, because there's no limits to create those accounts, and you could dedicate it to an application type, an application team, or however you see fit. And so with us providing that capability, it kind of allowed our customers to kind of be their own, um, I don't want to sound too cliche, but the DevOps approach where they can manage the infrastructure, they can manage the IM. We provide the guardrails and kind of open it up to them to kind of drive adoption. Um, the, the other benefit here is services. We, we do manage the services that we kind of enable through, through, through our environment. And so in this world where services are released on, and go on GA on next day, um, they're not, we're not as restrictive here, but we do always emphasize that you know, services should all be, always be considered, especially if you're opening up ingress or egress rules. So this works out for a lot of our business customers that, uh, like I said, that are um, driving um, rapid innovation. But the reality is that we still have to accommodate our enterprise, right? So a lot of our endpoints are still internal routable on the network that our, our network team provides. Um, and so what we kind of framed this up, and I don't want to call it traditional account. I know it was termed in legacy earlier today on some of the other presentations on the keynote. But the reality is that we have a lot of business applications that are still tied to this. Even some of our applications that are going digital transformation efforts, they're requiring a balance of these type of capabilities of Amazon native services with IaaS workloads that we have to maintain. They still have HA requirements. And so this is what we, we, we built this for that. But the difference is, is that there's no native ingress egress, right? We've got direct connect, we've got three 10 gig direct connects that, that provide native routing into these environments. Um, but the reality is that all traffic would backhaul um, out our point of presence, our data centers within the Midwest. And so with this account structure, we still drive the same security compliance controls, but we got the enforce piece because there's, no, you know, it's either traffic is forward proxied or we've got firewall management to kind of take care of that. Where in, the end, in that NG type model, um, there are no virtual firewalls. A lot of it's kind of just cloud native, right? And so when we started to go down this path, we, 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 we started to create accounts for our customers in kind of a prod, non-prod model, right? These accounts were single accounts, VPC, single VPCs with multiple AZs. And then the reality is that some of our customers are large IT organizations like Georgia Pacific. And so multi-tenning a lot of customers in that environment, it, it really started to uh, maybe not meet our security requirements or segmentation requirements. And so we had to consider options to uh, maybe increase our ability to create more of these type of accounts. But, but to get here, we had a limitation. And, and the limitation is that for direct connects, you're limited to 50 virtual interfaces. And with us providing three direct connects for every VPC that's connected that requires native routing, you can see we were at a limit on how many accounts we could create. And so that's where we started to look at transit uh, to maybe help with some of that. Um, in this environment, we manage the IP space. Um, we are private IP space. We were joking around earlier today about um, 
the release last year, August 20, 2017, where you can actually extend VPC CIDR blocks. But uh, the reality here is that um, this, in, this, in, this environment, while native routing is a requirement, it, it really kind of balances the best of both worlds. Not just the traditional IaaS workloads, but extending ability to leverage those uh, PaaS services with native routing. And that's why this environment started to kind of, kind of bubble up to the top that, hey, maybe this is where we should create the most value now and, and start to really focus to help get us at least to a point where we're starting to accelerate our digital transformation effort. Um, this, what's, the other thing that's different about this environment is that services are strictly or more strictly reviewed before we enable. Um, again, the risk is this is native, native routable to the company, and so the reality is that we, we have to be careful on what services we turn up, and so we go through kind of a, a review process for, for a lot of that. And with that, I'll transition over to Dan. Yep. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for the background on, on our cloud accounts. Um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about Coke's current environment, where we've been, and where we're going, um, and, the, and how we got there, right? Um, so today, Coke Business Solutions, which is who Mike and I work for, is the managed or leveraged service provider for all the different Coke companies that Mike talked about earlier in the slides. As such, we manage over 800 remote locations. Of those 800 remote locations today, we have just over 600 that are on SD-WAN, with just over 1,000 active V-edges running in our environment today. Um, we maintain six different route domains in our environment, and uh, by that what I mean is uh, the larger companies, uh, Georgia Pacific, Molex, Guardian, um, so on and so forth, have their own uh, route domain network segment. They're segmented throughout the entire Coke, Coke Enterprise environment, uh, with the exception of two locations in which we allow companies to intercompany route between each other. Um, that can be problematic when you're looking at sharing out an application from, uh, say, Georgia Pacific to all of Coke Industries um, if you're trying to do it through traditional routing. Um, additionally, we run 17.2 code on our SD-WAN environment today. Um, and that speaks to the features and functions that are available to us um, and kind of the constraints that we run into within our SD-WAN environment. We have a clustered vManage environment, um, and over 50% of our sites have direct internet access uh, or direct internet egress um, for proxy-aware applications. We have four hub locations in the U.S., um, of those four hub locations, three of them have 10 gig uh, direct connects that come into them. Um, and some of the challenges that, that we face uh, when it comes to cloud is remote site latency. So Jim talked about backhauling uh, remote sites. So if I have a site in Virginia or a site in Atlanta and it has to go to the Midwest uh, to our main headquarters in Wichita before going to Virginia, that's problematic. Um, route limitations. Uh, so. A VPC can handle 105 routes. Well, each network container that we have or each route domain that we have has over 5,000 routes in it. So Amazon's getting close. Not quite there yet. Um, the VPC to VPC communication, we talked about the intercompany routing piece. That's, that's problematic for us. Third-party access, um, local ingress, local egress from AWS is problematic when our requirements dictate we need uh, layer 7 filtering. Uh, reverse proxies and things like that. 
one of the biggest, uh, biggest challenges that, that we run into is just time to implement. Um, so our four hub locations that we stood up took us 11 months to implement. Nine, nine of those months were waiting on circuits to be provisioned. Uh, so you can imagine as we look to scale outside of the US, expand regionally, waiting for circuits to come in is problematic. Um, so the network team started our journey three years ago. Um, hearing that we were gonna start moving to cloud, we knew that the network infrastructure had to change. Um, and so we also knew that our bandwidth was growing at a rate of 40% year over year on MPLS. MPLS extremely expensive. We were looking to, to get away from MPLS. Um, maybe not completely move off of it, maybe it doesn't go away completely, but at least stop the growth of MPLS and start leveraging circuits like internet uh, to, to get to the things that we need to get to. So when Mike talks about his uh, next-gen uh, VPCs, we look at SD-WAN and the capability to do direct internet access without having to have firewalls at every single one of our sites, being able to access applications over the internet from a remote site versus having to backhaul them, backhaul them to a data center or backhaul them over MPLS uh, links and things like that. Seriously? Okay, here we go. So like any traditional enterprise, we had MPLS circuits. Remote sites connected to MPLS, backhauling to our hub locations. That's where we were three years ago, right? So in this world, we knew that we couldn't get to the cloud. We had to do things differently. We started looking at SD-WAN, and there were three things that we set out to solve with SD-WAN. Latent bandwidth. Right? So in a traditional enterprise, you have your primary MPLS circuit that's used all the time, every day, day in, day out, and you have a backup internet circuit that's never used, unless MPLS fails. Central management for our routers. Um, how often do we upgrade routers? Like never, right? Um, in a traditional environment, because we can't afford to have the downtime. Um, and security, right? It's very difficult very challenging to manage security of VMVPN, of IPsec tunnels, things like that. So those are the three main challenges we set out to solve with SD-WAN. We partnered with a small company at the time called Viptela. Since then, they've been acquired by Cisco. And we rolled 600 sites in six months. That got us to SD-WAN. That allowed us to do direct internet access, to start accessing Office 365, to start accessing uh, our AWS next-gen accounts directly over the internet versus having to backhaul. The next thing we did is we brought in 10 gig circuits to connect up our, our traditional or our private cloud environments uh, to, to Coke's network. This helped us facilitate the ability to migrate large workloads from our on-prem data centers into AWS. We've done huge SAP migrations uh, over, our, over our 10 gig backbone, over these 10 gig links. Uh, I think FHR migrated like 200 servers um, in like two months or something like that. Uh, it was quite a bit. And then finally, we paired our VPCs. Uh, within the network domain that they reside in or that route domain that they reside in. Um, VPC to VPC peering between route domains still has to backhaul uh, to this day. And that's our, that's our current state. That's where we sit today. So what are we doing in the future? 
as we look to the future and, and what we're piloting now and what we're testing now is pushing our private cloud out just one extra hop and putting in what we call our transport hub. <clears throat> our transport hub today consists of two Cisco CSRs that do the transitive routing, VPC to VPC. We then tack in a, a security VPC, as we call it, with two next-gen firewalls in there to do uh, local ingress, uh, egress, third-party connections, things like that. And then we tack on SD-WAN. And that's kind of the direction that we're going. That's what our design is based on. Um, it's very modular. Um, this is just our way of doing it. There's so many design considerations we went through and so many different ways that it can be done. Um, this is what worked well for us. Yeah, and I think one thing to add on that slide is that, um, as Dan mentioned, the SaaS integrations, right? So we look at this DMZ environment, we're looking to build a DMZ capability within Amazon. It I mean, it just makes sense. But we can't natively connect that without having those virtual firewalls in place for those, for those ingress, egress type ACLs. The other piece in the SaaS world, these SaaS environments can be co-locations that are physical data center colos. They could be other Amazon native type services, right? There's SaaS services like uh, that, that run out there, or it could be it could be another company we're building a B2B integration. And so that's where SD-WAN, getting our customers quicker access to that and the transit capability kind of starts to enable our ability to drive that digital transformation for those larger application sets. Right. Yep. So some of the benefits that we're seeing out of our transport hub design with SD-WAN is a reduced number of VIFs that are required to maintain the environment. Mike mentioned we have 160 different accounts um, you can imagine the number of VPCs that we're managing today. Um, we're, we're maxed out. We have three 10 gig direct connects and we've already hit the cap. We can't add any more VPCs uh, to the direct connects because there's no more VIFs available. In our design, uh, because we have six route domains, now we just need six VIFs uh, versus the, the yeah. 50 VIFs that we have today per direct connect. Yeah, we have a pretty, like I said, we have a pretty good VDI workspaces environment in Amazon, and right now we're, it's pending, the growth of that environment is pending this because we need to mimic the same route segmentation, domain segmentation, and we need to add additional VPCs for those environments too. Right. So, We get increased route control. So all the traditional mechanisms that we use on-prem, uh, route filtering, AS pathless, uh, policy-based routing, all of those things we can now do. Uh, in AWS because we've deployed Cisco CSR solution, we have the SD-WAN solution in there, um, and so we can we get very granular control. Um, our environment today, uh, the transport hub that we've de deployed in our pilot scenario, has three default routes that come in. One that comes in from the firewall in AWS, one that comes in across the direct connect uh, from, from the data center, and one that comes in across SD-WAN, right? So deconflicting those routes or or filtering those routes and, and uh, preferring which, which way traffic can go to make things predictable. I can now do this uh, very easily through traditional mechanisms in AWS. We get increased security control with the firewalls that we've deployed for layer server filtering, for landing of third-party ingress, um, things like that. We get increased uh, visibility. Uh, so not only do we get the flow logs from AWS, but we also get SNMP, we get CFLOW-D from uh, the SD-WAN solution, we get NetFlow from the Cisco solution, um, so on and so forth. Increased network performance. So in our pilot testing, uh, the, the company that's piloting for us saw a 90% increase in performance for traffic that was destined for the internet. 
on top of that, um, we just tested, we're in the process of testing SD-WAN, and uh, even for sites that are, are west of central US, which we didn't expect them to see any sort of benefit uh, from the SD-WAN solution uh, being, being deployed into AWS, uh, our direct connects, our, the furthest west our direct connect goes is uh, central US. So anything west of that, we didn't expect to see a, a performance increase or a decrease in latency. Um, and we actually did, and it was a substantial decrease in latency uh, for, for those sites that were west of, uh, of, of central US. And we get, we get to be circuit agnostic now with SD-WAN uh, in AWS. Uh, we can leverage internet, we can use secure cloud interconnect, MPLS, uh, or the direct connect uh, to pass our traffic back to CocoNet from, from AWS. So what does our design actually consist of? What are the details? Um, our, our transit VPC, all it has in it is the two Cisco CSRs. Um, they, they act as the transitive, the base capability that is required to pass traffic from a customer VPC uh, to or our private cloud VPC to the security VPC to SD-WAN or across our direct connect. We have an SD-WAN VPC and all that's in the SD-WAN VPC is two Cisco SD-WAN appliances. Um, today it's the, the vEdge platform running 17.2 code. Uh, hopefully in the future it'll be the uh, CSR platform running 18.3. And then we have a security VPC. In the security VPC we have two firewalls that are running in HA mode and then two Cisco CSRs. The, the firewalls land IPsec uh, for third party ingress. They also handle the egress traffic. And the, the CSRs are there to route the third party traffic because we keep that segmented from all the other traffic back into our environment, back over to, to the transit VPC. So this was deployed uh, back in August for one of our customers. This was our pilot design. Um, as you can see, SD-WAN on the left was still housed on-prem at that time. Um, those are the VH2Ks that we were leveraging uh, going across the direct connects. We have since, uh, we're actually right in the process right now of validating and doing the performance testing of the SD-WAN VPC connected to the transit. Um, this design for us is very modular. It allows us to pivot, right? So we have the, the SD-WAN VPC, the transit VPC, and the security VPC. We can switch those pieces out um, very easily. So AWS just announced their transit gateway. That middle piece right there, that transit VPC, we can replace that with transit gateway if we wanted and attach SD-WAN to it and then attach our security VPC to it. If we want to switch SD-WAN vendors, you know, we, we can spin up a new VPC, throw uh, the new SD-WAN uh, solution in there and connect it up very easily. Um, so very modular. Uh, and, and that's just based on the state of the market, how early things are, how rapidly things are changing, and how rapidly Coke's environment is changing, right? Um, we have to be able to, to be agile and, and keep pace as well. So we didn't... We didn't want to put everything into a single VPC, which was a design consideration, right? We thought about that. Um, and we're like, hey, we can throw the CSRs in there and the firewalls and the SD-WAN appliances. And okay, well, what happens if something goes wrong, right? Now I have to blow up that whole entire VPC and everything's down. Um, so 
we chose to, to do a more modular design. We also considered putting the uh, SD-WAN appliances directly in the, the customer VPC. Um, and at scale for us, that just didn't make sense. Uh, too many EC2 instances, too many routers, we would end up having to manage. The, the cost for us was too high. Um, so we decided to centralize it. Um, and then that way a customer, you know, one of our customers, GP, they can have uh, thousands of VPCs connecting up to our, our transit design um, and, and we still maintain the, the same number of devices. The scale may change, right? The, the EC2 instance may change, but uh, we, we don't have to have multiple. Um, one thing that's not depicted in here is uh, we, we ran into some challenges with uh, throughput, with uh, uh, performance of data center to AWS traffic flowing through the SD-WAN environment. So what we ended up doing is we pulled that traffic out of the SD-WAN environment, and we created a, a tunnel from the, the transit VPC over the direct connect back to our data center to facilitate those large uh, workload transfers uh, versus a remote site just trying to access an application. A little bit different there. Yeah, I think one thing to add is, is, is like Dan said, we're able to pivot with these technologies, but the reality is some of these technologies like, like Transit Gateway, right, there's services like Private Link, we feel it's gonna fit in this reference architecture. And so understanding where those components mix or might introduce additional opportunity, then we look at considering that. But the reality is that, like I said, from an enterprise, I mean, VPC peers are easy to build, but driving VPC peers with third parties to our internal VPCs, it probably doesn't make sense because the filtering's not there. And right. so we're continuing to assess opportunities to stay cloud native, but the reality is that we, we've got to accommodate for our different use cases, and so we're gonna look at every opportunity there. Right, exactly. Um, and, and like I was saying earlier, um, you know, having the, the, the CSRs, the, the Cisco appliances there in, in our transit, um, having that more granular network control. Um, so on the diagram, you can see there's third-party ingressing. Um, the same routes that are ingressing into AWS from those third parties, those third parties still need access to traditional workloads within our data centers, right? So. Um, I, I have those same routes coming in on-prem, and I, I had to implement traditional network filtering mechanisms to block those routes so we don't create route loops and, and, and problems like that in our environment. Additionally, some of the challenges that we ran into um, deploying uh, SD-WAN into the cloud, uh, just deploying SD-WAN in general was training. Um, SD-WAN, the Cisco implementation of SD-WAN is a different. It's still networking at the end of the day, but it does leverage a different routing, call, a routing protocol called OMP. So there was some, some, some training that was required there. We sent all our guys to training. Um, I think they went through three different iterations of training. Um, and then we started talking about doing uh, virtual appliances and cloud networking, and, and their minds exploded, right? I mean, our environment hadn't changed in, in several years. Um, and we very rapidly changed. We were one of the very first adopters or early adopters of SD-WAN. Um, so we put them through the ringer. Um, they, they spent a good amount of time uh, studying AWS networking, studying Vipella, uh, what is now Cisco SD-WAN, uh, before we could actually do these things and, and be proficient in them. Um, so, Beyond uh, what we have uh, uh, designed today, uh, as we look to the future, 
Um, what our roadmap looks like right now is we're gonna complete our SD-WAN performance testing. We're gonna deploy the SD-WAN component uh, to uh, some of our early adopter customers uh, at the end of this year, early next year. Um, and then we'll do a production rollout for the majority of our customers in US East. Um, and then we wanna get to 18.3 code as quickly as possible. There's some integrations with ASRs, ISRs, and CSRs that are available in 18.3. Um, that, that we're not privy to today because of the version of code that we're on. Um, there's also uh, automation capabilities or one-click deployment capabilities for AWS uh, when we look at the SD-WAN uh, uh, SD VPC. And we wanna be able to integrate those into our processes, into our automation uh, for deployments, for regional expansion um, as we look to the future. And then some of the challenges that, that we're still facing today or that we're still considering is uh, how, how does this work in a multi-cloud environment, right? So we have a, a process for AWS. We have a design for AWS. I, I think that design will work for some of the other cloud providers. I'm pretty sure it will. Um, but the process is different. The deployments are different. The management is different. Um, and all of those things uh, affect efficiency, affect performance, um, especially at scale uh, for, for us. Um, and then the other, the other two challenges that we see, there are talent gaps within uh, the SD-WAN world, within uh, the, the cloud environments, um, and throughput, throughput constraints. Uh, right now, uh, with the IPsec tunnels between customer VPCs and, and back to our transit, we're limited to 1.25 uh, gigs, and, and that's a limitation of, of AWS there. Um, we see that as a point in time. Uh, we know that the, the performance will increase at some point, um, but it is, it is a challenge for us, and, and we're looking to get past that. And with that, I will turn it back to Jim. Awesome, guys. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Call to action, which means homework in this case. And I'm going to be very upfront I failed you, there was a slide I should have inserted, and I did not. So if you're taking notes, I'm gonna give you a URL, aws.amazon.com slash answers, plural, answers. You can find a trove of information on a lot of the stuff that was discussed up here. If you wanna learn more about transit VPCs, you could find out about it on answers. Uh, and search for that term, transit VPC. You'll find not only reference architectures for using the Cisco Cloud Services Router, which is what we partially covered today, you'll find solutions from uh, Riverbed, Aviatrix, um, I believe Barracuda's got one up there. There, there are several other ones. Um, Juniper, Juniper's got one with their VSRX, which is novel because that's a firewall that does routing, so it adds security into the VPC for chains of VPC that's secure. So that's pretty cool. You'll also be able to find some um, information on shared services VPCs. Uh, there was a, a slide up there where um, Daniel was showing um, the, the transit being in one hub and, and SD-WAN being in its own hub. That's known as a shared services VPC. And there are a lot of best practices on putting your security stuff, your firewall, or your load balancer. I mean, you, you don't have to put everything in every one of your VPCs. You can create a robust shared services VPC and do the hub and spoke, and you can really do some cool things with that. This slide is already kind of out of date. We had to submit our slides uh, well in advance. 
but the information is still relevant. Take a look at these sessions, CMP 308, ARC 405. If, if you still have time to go to the ones on Thursday or later on today, hit them. And here's why. These, so these um, sessions are being conducted by our principal solutions architects on networking. So if you want to find out more about cloud networking, if you want to find out more about AWS networking, if you want to hear different references to other partnerships that we might have that can solve some of your use cases, go to them. If you can't go to them, download the slides, take a look at them, uh, you wait a week or two, and uh, every one of these sessions are recorded and will be available on uh, YouTube at some point. So make references to those. Uh, check them out. They'll be uh, worth your time, I believe. The last thing I want to show you is, oh, come on. Ta-da. The SD-WAN integration with Amazon Web Services user guide, buyer guide, cookbook, whatever you want to call it. Why this is interesting is uh, Amazon Web Services has no native SD-WAN capability or service. Everything that we need for branch office connectivity to work very, very well, it's 100% partner driven. There are ISVs, technology providers, wherever you want to call them, that drive these solutions. This buyer's guide references about 11 or 12 of them, I can't remember what the number is, and several of them are exhibiting here at reInvent. Aviatrix, I already mentioned them, uh, Barracuda's very cool stuff. Um, the two at the bottom are super cool, uh, depending on what your use case is. If you're a Citrix shop, if you're using Zen App or Zen Desktop for uh, virtualizing your applications or your desktops, the delivery of the Zen experience is often enhanced by using uh, Citrix NetScalers. Citrix NetScaler has an SD-WAN component to it, so you could check that out. Uh, Riverbed, if you're using a lot of MPLS circuits and you're trying to drive efficiencies out there, you may be using a WAN optimization controller. You're probably using a Riverbed steelhead. If you are, check out SteelConnect. It is Riverbed's uh, SD-WAN overlay. What's cool about SteelConnect, much like the Viptela stuff from Cisco, it doesn't depend on Riverbed hardware. You could run SteelConnect with or without. It's, you know, there's a better together story, I'm sure, but um, there is some agnosticity there to it. Uh, so as, as the KBS guys were talking about, um, it, it, this is a solution, it's a topic, but it's modular. You, you want to use what's best for you now, and um, don't, don't, don't create any one-way doors, create two-way doors. If you can do something different later on that's better for you at that time, go for it. So this, this uh, buyer's guide will help you get that out. Um, that's pretty much it. We won't be taking questions on stage. If you've got questions, we'll be walking towards the back of the room. Uh, flag us down, happy to talk. Um, there is my email address if there's uh, questions, comments. Uh, uh, please don't spam me or with, with junk mail. But if you've got questions, come on in. I, I'd like to hear from you. Um, and uh, the last thing is fill out your session surveys on the mobile app. We'd greatly appreciate the feedback. Happy Wednesday. Um, go out and have fun. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>